Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show with my co-host, Frank Washgut, fresh off the New York Marathon. Frank, welcome to the show. And how are you? How's the legs? Doing, how are you feeling? Doing okay. Fresh might not be the right <laughs> word for it, but uh, yeah, doing all right. Doing all right. Because that was the second marathon for you in a few weeks, wasn't well, it? Well, six six weeks or so. So yeah, no, it was it was good. Uh, it's going to be a few few days before they come back, I think. So yeah, it thank was, you for asking. It was fun, wasn't it? We did a an article about all the uh, runners from the yeah. PR industry taking part, and there were a lot of them. Yeah, and we saw some of them uh, at the bottom of my street. I saw you go by, and uh, a couple of guys from uh, day one agency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in um, fact, I just bumped into one. Uh, bumped into Rob Longer at uh, at Just Salad a few minutes ago. We that's right, because they just up the road. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the um, Pablo Catelliano, so. my, my friend from Peru, who runs yeah. an agency in Lima, and um, lots of other um, runners. Um, Patrick Lenahan from who's been a guest right. on the podcast, and many more. It was great. And uh, our former colleague Gary McLaughlin, who used to be production editor on PR Week did 323 that's swift uh, yeah not a not a bad showing at all so uh, the irish uh, air is clearly treating him well so yeah we'll get into some stories with frank but we've got a fantastic guest for you this week listeners we've got bayron wilson who's coo of urban alchemy and urban alchemy, alchemy is a tremendous organization it won the nonprofit of the year at our Purpose Awards a few weeks ago. So we thought we'd get Bayron on to talk about the, the brilliant work they do and how communications and, and purpose plays into it. So Bayron, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We, it's great to meet you in Chicago at the awards. And uh, you all looked like you had a good night and we're celebrating. So um, <laughs> it was a brilliant uh, evening, I think, all around. Yeah? Yes, absolutely. You guys treated me really well. Absolutely. I had a great time. Um, so tell us about Urban Alchemy. What, uh, what type of work do you do and what is the sort of mission of the organization? Okay, so well, Urban Alchemy is a nonprofit social enterprise. It's not so much what we do as how we do it, but um, everything we transform communities and spaces with compassion and love. Um, you know, obviously that's our mission. Um, our vision is obviously change the world. Uh, we want to see how we want to do things different, a different model. Uh, most of us are, you know, we are formerly incarcerated. Most of us are formerly incarcerated. 91% of us are formerly uh, actually black, uh, so black and brown. So we're pretty big, about 13, or a little over 1,000 employees, I should say. And tell us about what that brings to, and well, tell us what you do first, because uh, you're on the streets basically helping out people who've, uh, you know, are either unhoused or um, living on the streets um, in different cities. Tell us about what, what the organization actually does. We actually have, uh, we call it the one, two, six, really. It's um, the, so we obviously, the most important thing is we, we hire formerly incarcerated men who had a long-term sentence. Two things that we address. We address street conditions, um, where we talk about street conditions with people who are suffering from mental illness, substance abuse, and addiction. And then of course, the second point, component of that is uh, the biggest part of it is uh, public spaces for people to be in public spaces, all kind of being together. And we got like six lines of business, which the number one business is the community-based public safety. Um, but also we help support um, uh, men and women who are currently living in shelters. And then of course, street cleaning. We also have what we call a community engagement and outreach. 
We also operate a, what we call a climate station, uh, which I'm really proud of. One of our biggest things is, like I say, interim housing. So we're a service provider for interim housing. So people are living in shelters. That's what I'm really proud of as well. Yeah, because you hear a lot of chat from people, um, fairly egregious stuff, you know, criticizing inner cities, saying um, something needs to be done or that, you know, cities aren't safe anymore. What are the biggest sort of um, pieces of misinformation out there about about what's going on and, and the things that kind of rile you up a little bit when you hear them because they become tropes and nobody's actually talking about doing something to, you know, deal with the problems that might be out there or, I don't know, to, you, you're in cities like uh, Austin and San Francisco with, you know, very well-to-do cities with big mm. tech businesses especially mm. um, and, and you hear a lot about this and people moving away but you don't hear a lot about solutions, do you? So, right. Tell us about your views on that whole dynamic. Right. I, I, I agree with you. I think there's a, it, the biggest thing about one of the solutions is how we treat people. I think we've gotten really bad away from how to treat people with a lot of love and respect. Um, one of the things that we do, we pride ourselves on how we treat our guests, which we refer to people experiencing homelessness as guests, uh, because they're currently living in, in spaces that are um, not OK. And I think that's one of the most important things. So we got to get back to treating people with a level of respect, humanity, love and compassion. And I think that's what make our model uh, so different, because it's not only is the how we treat people is the people who are actually doing the work, which are most of us are formerly incarcerated and some of us have lived experience. So we were actually once upon a time homeless ourselves. So the men and women who are currently from these places actually being able to do this work and able to touch the brothers and sisters out there on the streets in a different way. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's really bad. I think that's one of the things that I think is mis taken out of context. It's the men and women who are living in these conditions. Um, they do want to support, they do need the support. They need the help, but they need to be treated different. Yeah, treated with respect Absolutely. and um, with and with help. And you talked about that experience of being incarcerated or being uh -huh. on the streets. Is that something you experienced yourself? And what does it bring to the work you're doing when you actually know that and you've you know it's been part of your life? Yes, I am formally incarcerated. Um, I was someone who had a, what they call a life sentence. Someone who had uh, you either get fifteen to life, twenty five to life, or what they call. Um, life without parole. So I actually have 15 life. So someone who had a long-term um, sentence. And of course, I'm being, when I was released, obviously I was formerly homeless as well. So living in the streets and living, being formerly incarcerated, living on the streets and being able to connect to the men and women who also are, who've been experienced very similar things that I've been through. So being able to have that, not only have that empathy, but also have that lens to see it from a trauma-informed lens. So I understand what they're going through, the men and women, particularly a lot of the men, um, been able to relate to them and give them solutions that have not only worked for me, have worked for many others, you know, in terms of hope. So, of course, that's the goal and objective. Um, without going back down that black market, where it's just sometimes because people don't have an opportunity, they end up going to, um, they obviously start to self-indulge with different drugs and different things. And then from there, it's kind of spin out of control. So I'm just trying to bring the back the hope and the love, really. Yeah. And tell us about that. I mean, Often it ends up to the the police to call it, sort of deal with situations when they're not necessarily trained to do so or, you know, they're not social workers. And that creates a, a dynamic, I guess, which has a bit of tension in it as well. Although I'm sure there's good people in the, in the service as well. But how do you um, 
what what's your take on that? What do we need to do at scale? Because this, it feels like this is this is an issue in in cities, you know, mm-hmm. all over the country. And I don't know how. So tell us how Urban Alchemy is funded and how that might that sort of model might be extended into other cities and across the country. Well, we government funded. Um, and of course, you know, every city has its main issues, whether it's being violence or homelessness and or, um, you know, conditions, street conditions. I think to your point, um, the police has always been the first off. Let's be honest. The police are not only are they not uh, they're they're amazing at what they do. Um, and we commend our police. We all need our police and our police force. So I want to just put that out there. But at the end of the day, they've been the default to everything and anything. So, you know, dealing with homelessness there, they've been the default. And sometimes when you're the default, you don't necessarily have that 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 lens that need to see it. So because of that, they're bringing more trauma or uh, on that person who may be experiencing that than necessarily needed. So having a community based public safety model, which is something that we we have, is it's a difference. Um, and of course, we're able to spend the time that is needed to talk to the person who's actually having that trauma, the episode, we call it. So and able to get them to understand that we understand we listen in first and foremost, but also being able to address their, their immediate needs, um, sometimes by getting them away from where, what's going on and also kind of trying to work towards some of the long term solutions, whether that's mental health, whether that's getting them in substance abuse or get them in directly housing, temporary housing or, you know, uh, permanent shelter. So but at the end of the day, it's really having that ability to connect with them. And having that understanding that right now, um, the worst thing you need is somebody just telling you to, you know, that's going to come on with more trauma, telling, you know, whatever. And I'm not saying the police, all police are coming with that, but more times than none, you know, they're the default. So you have to have another alternative solution. So I think the community has the best solution, honestly. Yeah. I mean, you want the police out there catching criminals, don't you? Correct. And it's not their primary purpose. So I hear what you're saying there. Tell us about a specific words. Two of the projects for which, you know, you, you, the nonprofit won the award with work you're doing mm-hmm. in the Tenderloin in San Francisco and in Austin in Texas. So right. t- tell us specifically about those two areas and, and what you've been doing there. Uh-huh. Well, t- the TL, Tenderloin in San Francisco, has a number of different um, organizations doing all the work that we're doing. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say uh, that we're all having to connect and collaborate and do this work and look at different alternatives. I, I, I commend the, the, the leadership in terms of the, the mayors and all those individuals, and I'm not going to talk government, but you know how they wanted to see it a different alternative. And of course, also, also commend the police for allowing this to be um, pushing that narrative out there. Let, let's try to look at some different alternatives, the way to address it. Um, the TO has been, has some really, has had some really challenges, um, in terms of individuals with mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. But I think we're also getting people indoors. I think there we have now um, reduced um, people from living on the streets in those conditions to get them into hotels, get them into um, shelters, get them into different um, different things, whether it be they don't have a tiny home, but they have a container home. Um, and that's that's really the approach. As for Austin, which is a city that we're doing pretty fairly well, um, they're really also focusing on, you know, how can we look at getting the individuals indoors? So, of course, we took over what we call the arch, the shelter, which is the worst shelter in all of Austin. And we've been able to turn that around in the last um, six months um, and really get a lot of the men that was on living on the outside, getting them indoors and also have a waiting list to get them the men who actually want them. And we've gotten a lot of people. Um, to us, to our ability, what we say a lot, which is anybody more than one indoors in terms of with permanent housing. So it's just not about living in the shelter. It's about the goal, ultimate goal is to get you into something next, at next level. So those are the two things. And of course, Portland, we actually operate um, three, what we call safe sleep, safe sleep sites, safe sleep villages. 
which is the pods. And of course, we also have the, the individual of an intense, which is called safe sleep sites um, in Portland as well. And eventually, hopefully, you know, we'll have something called a, a safe sleeping parking, which is what we also have in San Francisco, safe sleep. So people living in their cars. Um, those are the models that we've kind of operated. And I, I'm, I'm happy to say it's actually a different model. So it works if we all kind of understanding that the ultimate goal is to get you indoors, but also can't, you can't live on the streets. That's not living on the streets is not where it's at. We got to get you somewhere else. So, um, and, and of course, I think those are the, the ways, the direction we're going. So I'm proud to be a part of this solution. Um, it's not the end all. It's not no one fix all. Um, in these major cities like Austin, Portland, San Francisco, they all struggling with some of the things. They're all looking at different um, alternatives. But the number one thing is the streets can't just be the, the last end all for everyone. Yeah, no, amen to that. And um, it's a good point about the hostels because sometimes they can be more dangerous than being out on the streets, can't they? And and that sort of stops people going into them. So that sounds like what you were doing in Austin was really valuable work there where and you talked a lot about safe spaces so that uh, people will take take up those opportunities rather than thinking that they're going to be put into an environment that's more dangerous than what they're already facing and especially as winters come in and the, and the bad weather yeah absolutely and you got to remove the diet the, the, the rules everything can't be about rules being that i'm formerly incarcerated i'm um but i'm not an inmate you know, and so people shouldn't be treated like they're in a, in a prison. People shouldn't be treated like they're in a jail. They need to have, you know, there's rules that have, there's guidelines and rules that we all need to abide by. At the end of the day, most importantly, some of those rules need to be removed. People should be able to leave and go when they want to. So we remove barriers. We remove uh, uh, curfews. Um, I didn't let people walk through a metal detector. That shouldn't be you love it in your living space. No, that shouldn't happen. You should have to do that. I think if we treating people with a lot of love, respect, trusting people that their word is their word and going by it. But at the end of the day, I understand safety and we understand safety. And um, we'll, so we can all kind of understand that. But those guide rules and a whole lot of rules and all those things, we can't, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm not an inmate. I'm, I'm formally incarcerated. I'm definitely not a convict. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a I'm a, I'm a boss. Um, I'm a man. I'm a black man. All those things are things that we all need to understand. So when people are being treated with that, I think things tend to change for them. And so they tend to respect their own space much, much more valuable. So that's what we do. Your story sounds inspirational, Bayron, but I mean, you must have seen some other inspirational stories of redemption. Can you share one with us that particularly stood out where you thought, yeah, that's, this is why we do this. You know, this is what makes everything worthwhile and, and really backs up the reason for doing this kind of work. Absolutely. I have this one story. This is recent. This just recently happened in Los Angeles. Um, a young lady uh, suffering from mental illness and um, she was actually going to a, a bus stop and um, she went to the Greyhound and at the Greyhound, they had her family had put all of her ticket on the phone. And um, she was because someone stole her charger, she could not board the actual bus. Um, and then she started to wander around in a, in, a, in a train station. So somebody contacted one of our departments called CIRCLE, which stands for Crisis Intervention um, Response through Community Led Engagement. And we came out and we seen that she was suffering, but we also listened to what she was saying. And she was saying her ticket was on her phone, but it couldn't be charged. So the obviously... The, the attendant wasn't really trying to hear. They thought she was just having an episode. So we stopped all that. We immediately stopped it. Our team listened. We had a mental health person come out and say, hold on, wait. 
give us a few seconds. Her phone is being charged. Everything she's saying is validated. And then, of course, we was trying to we was also doing that while communicating to our family back home and letting her know she was going to board the bus. And our family, you know, our, our, our team was really adamant about we're not going to let the attendant treat her wrong. We're not going to let the bus driver t- treat her wrong. We also wasn't going to allow anybody to take advantage of her any further because she's, she's roaming the streets of Los Angeles. And we were able to get her on her bus and she was able to get back to her family safely. But it was just one of those things where we have to take a stand on how we treat our community members because they may be suffering from an episode. She was a grown adult, but she probably had the brain of somewhere like a less, probably like an eight or 10 year old. And she ended up wandering off. So the goal is to get her back home, to get her back to her family safe. And then we were able to do that. So that's a story that kind of touches me with um, knowing that, you know, it's, it's about love and respect. And we took the time to listen to her. We had to take the time to communicate with her family about this. And of course, her family really appreciated that. So that's one of the stories that stuck with me just recently. And um, that's what it's about, connecting people back to their community, back to their families and getting people back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you go about your daily life in big cities and you see a lot of stuff and, you know, it's it's very tempting to just look the other way. And um, uh, it's we've kind of got away a little bit from that common sort of decency and i'm not saying that it's wrong because it's a challenge for everybody getting through the day these days but right. it's great to hear stories like that finally sort of um a lot of our readers are obviously in business they're in mark communications you know that's what they're uh, talking about they're in they're in government they're communicating on behalf of governments what do you what would you like to see politicians and people who run the cities and businesses you know silicon valley so much wealth there you know it feels like is is money a big problem here is, or is it just smart thinking and smart individuals that could be helping out? What would you like to see from people to in, in cities, especially on the West Coast? Look at some of these alternative models like like Urban Alchemy's model. There's also some great community um, service providers doing some amazing work within those communities. They may not be large like ours. They're still small. They might not look the same. But we still we, we should give them an opportunity. We need to look at innovative ways to how we address our people experiencing homelessness, how we address uh, mental health, uh, sub people with addiction and, of course, dealing with substance abuse. We need to look at some of these alternative models, um, whether it be an urban alchemy model or whether it be another alternative model out there. There are great organizations doing this work and we need to be innovative in how we approach it. So I think if you're a politician or if you are in a, in a position of, of you can make an impact of leadership, Let's start to look at some of these other ways to do business. We obviously know it cannot be the um, the way we've been doing it for over 30 years. Social services hasn't changed. So we have to look at something, things different. Um, and I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm proud to say, even though we've doing it different, we've been attacked, but we've been able to stand our ground and just say that there's other ways to do it. Um, looking at formerly incarcerated men, people experiencing homelessness, long term offenders, and they're out still doing some of the hardest work. I'm also going to say this. Um, you can be a lot of things in this world, but we can't even be an EMT. And I think, you know, we need to kind of get rid of that. Men and women have to be able to save lives. And um, if you have a background, unfortunately, you're not able to do this. So let's look at let's look at policy. Let's look at how we approach things. Let's get back to love and respect. And love ain't always got to be, you know, it ain't be always be touchy, touchy love. I'm talking about sometimes it's tough love and approaching these tough things from love. that perspective. So that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Good stuff. Finally, what if people want to help or find out more? Urban-alchemy.us. You can contact us that way. 
Um, and you can contact us through any kind of social media thing. Um, we don't, I, I particular me as a chief operating officer, I try to my hardest to stay away from some of the things that how the world is viewing us as an organization, but you can definitely get in contact with that through that way. And of course, it'll come through my queue and we'll pass it over to our Rise Strategy, which is our uh, PR firm. Sounds good, Bayron. Thanks for chatting to us, talking us through the brilliant work you're doing. Keep it up and uh, we look forward to following the impact you're making because uh, this, this is such important work and uh, we need more of it. So well done and thank, congrats on the Nonprofit of the Year Award at the Purpose Awards. Thank you very much. Again, this is all on behalf of Dr. Elena Miller uh, and Bayron Wilson and the Urban Alchemy team. So we're grateful and thank you guys really much for giving us the award. Appreciate you. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Frank, um, let's talk about uh, government and politics and the running of cities because we just had the elections this Tuesday, um, some gubernatorial and state and legislative elections and some others. What were the top line findings that jumped out for you? It's a very interesting off-year election night that took place this week uh, in that Democratic candidates were largely successful, both in holding on to the legislature in New Jersey and taking the legislature in Virginia. That's a huge blow uh, to the governor of Virginia's possible uh, presidential ambitions, Glenn Youngkin. Also, um, the right to an abortion was uh, enshrined in the Constitution of Ohio, as voters there also added the right to use uh, recreational marijuana. So a lot of a lot of interesting measures on the ballot in this off-year election. Now, will it actually mean anything in 2024? People are divided on that. But what is certain is that uh, the abortion issue continues to drive out voters uh, that are largely benefiting the Democrats in these off-year elections. So, um, again, does it pretend anything for next year? I don't think anybody knows for sure, but uh, we shall see. It's interesting that that came up again because that was in the midterms, wasn't it? It was yeah. a definite trend and it was definitely positive for people who believe in women's health care rights and um, yeah. certain social issues. So it, it feels a little bit like a pattern, but who knows? It it's, does. Uh, and it, it uh, throws some more questions on the polling and the professional polling in general. And, and, and are, um, are these trends being missed? Because um, there were a few important races last night when the polling was off. Now, look, you know, polling's never perfect, of course, and we don't want to be too hard on them. But, um, you know, raises a lot of questions about what the polls are going to look like into 2024 and how they're going to hold up or not hold up. So, yeah, it's interesting stuff. And uh, one big story, you know, that we've followed over the years is WeWork yep. and its troubles. And it's uh, finally gone bank- going bankrupt. What's your take on that story? And just tell us where, where it's at now. It's hard to believe on one hand. Um, and on another hand, it it isn't hard to believe, sadly, because it's it's um, well, let's look at it on the hard to believe front first. I mean, this is a com- this is a company that was worth forty seven billion dollars at one time. It was the most highly valued U.S. startup of all time at one point. Um, so it's hard to believe in some ways that it crashed so badly uh, within a few years. But at the same time, you have the pandemic. Uh, in recent years, you have a lot of, uh, let's call them internal institutional issues that that WeWork had to deal with as well. Um, so, you know, on, on that level, it's not hard to believe. They have been working with uh, C, St- C Street Advisory Group on strategic communication support as they look to stabilize. Some of the numbers with this WeWork Chapter 11 filing are kind of hard to believe. I mean, just locally, there's going to be 30 all 35, 36 locations that um, they're going to have to figure out what to do with. So, um, 
that's going to mean a lot, a lot of empty real estate uh, in New York City and elsewhere. So, yeah, what happens to all that? And, um, you know, what's the implication for inner cities? Um, It's a great question. (laughs) It's it's a great question. I I don't know. And I think we're going to we're going to have to see what happens with this, because, uh, you know, the real estate market in some cities is obviously not what it used to be. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, Bayron, bringing you back in on this one. Um, obviously, inner cities is where you work. I mean, fewer people come into cities now than they used to just because of the post-COVID thing where people are doing hybrid jobs and they maybe uh, some people work from home, you know, two or three days a week. And uh, you do have more buildings empty. It sometimes makes you wonder if you've got a lot of people out on the streets with nowhere to sleep and then you've got all these empty buildings. feels like maybe we need to rethink the way cities are designed and how they're used. Is that, does that resonate with you and the, the work you're doing? I agree. I think that definitely you should, we should look at how the buildings are being used, especially knowing that um, some of these organizations are shutting down such as the WeWork. But I think we should be able to, you know, the more, the more buildings that we have to get people indoors and all to keep them off the streets and from their, uh, and of course, also keeping them safe indoors as well. So yeah, I think this is definitely, we should look at that. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to have fewer people in business in cities, maybe we go back to having people living back in the centre and and uh, reaccommodating people, but also making the build, you know, changing the buildings up for more residential use. So maybe something to think about or look at. But a bit of a final curtain for WeWork, and uh, that's a big business story that will probably be made into a film one day. Um, Frank, we've launched our healthcare awards this week, so that's an important part of PR. Yeah. Uh, the PR Week Healthcare Awards and Conference coming to New York City, May 2024. Uh, all of the work that is the subject of entries uh, must have taken place within this year. First deadline is December 18th, and the extended deadline is January 15th, 2024. The finalists will be announced in February. Yeah, we're still working on the final date for that, but so we'll have that with you soon. A couple of new categories in healthcare, best in AI and data and analytics and um so check those out and make sure you're working on your entries on the move lots of people's stories around as usual frank Mm -hmm. as we approach the end of the year but two particularly impactful ones uh new ccos at pepsi and ab inbev and then um some layoffs at uh, one of the bigger agencies sure let's start with pepsico uh they've named chris manzini as head of global communications uh manzini most recently served as president of the edelman owned uh subsidiary agency assembly media um he is going to lead a 150 person strong communications team and report up to uh stephen kehoe who also came from Edelman uh, and now serves um, as PepsiCo's chief corporate affairs officer. Moving to Anheuser-Busch InBev, and I think this is an appointment that is going to raise some eyebrows just because of the the two different industries involved. But they brought on Donna Lawrenson as their chief communications officer. Uh, She joins from Kenview, which is the company that was spun out of Johnson & Johnson to be its own uh, over-the-counter medicines uh, pharmaceutical company where she was the chief corporate affairs officer. Her move is effective uh, on November 13th, and she's reporting up to the CEO. Um, obviously, Anheuser-Busch InBev has uh, had an interesting six months or so as they try to rebound from some tough sales in the U.S. Uh, connected to the backlash over the uh, Dylan Mulvaney controversy. Also, we have a, a few interesting happenings at BCW, the WPP firm. 
Brian Eller is going to be leaving his role at the agency where he was the U.S. Public Affairs Lead and EVP for Growth and Marketing Corporate Purpose um, and also spending two days a week working for the parent company WPP. Now, his exit is taking place as BCW has laid off uh, 21 employees across North America. Um, and um, the, that comes as also a number of executives have left BCW over the past few months. Should note that they've also brought on a few, including Christine Boyden, uh, who joined BCW from uh, the driverless car company Cruise. Yeah, Corey Debrower getting his not uh, ducks in a row there. He's the newish CEO of BCW, came over from the client side at Google, and he'll be a guest on our podcast early in the new year so we'll talk to Corey in more detail about what's going on there but uh, it does feel like there are a few layoffs around doesn't it as we come to the end of the year as there probably have been throughout the year whether people are kind of resizing after two really big years or whether they're just changing their workforce up a bit rebalancing after you know the the um, time when maybe the employees were more in charge and now that the balance has swung back the other way but uh, it's gonna be an interesting last few w- weeks of the year i think frank on that front yeah i would agree all right a this is an interesting story apco founded by marjorie kraus has introduced a virtual ai team member yes called margie well, is it margie or is it margie i i took it as as well, let's call it Margie. So, um, in this way, I've pronounced it both ways, so I can't I can't be wrong totally. Um, so, yeah, it, what it is is it's an a quote unquote AI powered team member, um, and it is going to help clients and the employees of the agency really embrace artificial intelligence, and it is going to dig deep on uh, the the firm's own experience uh, and the work it has done to be able to. Uh, you know, quickly process large amounts of information, predict crises, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So you've got Mar- Marjorie and, um, uh, you know, the, the, the physical person, and then you've got the AI version, Margie, maybe, who's uh, always there. So it's, uh, it's an interesting, uh, interesting uh, development. Maybe we'll see if other agencies do the same. And another interesting agency strategy was over at Coin, where you know, a lot of people often say, what is PR anyway? Right. And, um, parents have often not really understood what their kids do when they go into that industry. So Coin invited them all in. Tell us about it. It's a smart move and I think a fun day as uh, Coin held its first Bring Your Parents to Work Day at its <laughs> headquarters in Parsippany, New Jersey. Here's an interesting stat. So Coin has about 160 employees and about 85 parents attended, which I think is a great turnout uh, for a day like this. Um, And it was full of educational and interactive activities uh, in which the firm's executives talk to the parents about, you know, what the different practice areas do and what the work looks like and all that. Did the parents come away newly informed and impressed with their kids and what they're doing? I'm sure they must have. And they also got free food. So there's Uh, uh, there's that too. (laughs) Mum and dad like a bit of yeah. free food um, and a nice cup of coffee yeah, and maybe a cookie. So <laughs> interesting one there. Um, all right. Well, that's um, that's uh, all the news for this week. Thank you, Frank. Don't forget our Hall of Fame event on the 4th of December in New York City. Really looking forward to that great uh, celebration of legends and our last big event of the year. The uh, 25th Anniversary Awards will be in March next year, the 14th of March. So um, get your tickets for that. The healthcare awards are open, as we said. We are looking at our Crisis Comms Conference. That's going to be 
in uh, April next year. And don't forget the Global Awards. Entries uh, open for submissions now and the events in London on the 15th of May. So do check those out. Bayron, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about Urban Alchemy. Hey, thank you, guys. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. All right. So my pleasure. It's my honor. Likewise. I appreciate you. Yeah, I love what you're doing out there. I'm, I'm so sick of people being down on cities and being down on people rather than coming up with solutions or thinking more productively about what we need to do to, to fix things. So you're you're actually there doing it and uh, all power to you and um, well-deserved win in the non-profit of the year. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I take it easy and be easy too. Yeah, definitely. But that's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. <laughs>